When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. AYA is sponsored by Penguin Random House and Underlined. Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen is the start of an epic new fantasy series that was inspired by the author's Nigerian roots, as well as a love for the Little Mermaid. In it, Simi is a Mama Wata, or a mermaid, and is bound by the laws of gods. She is charged with blessing the souls of enslaved people lost at sea. When Simi does the unthinkable and saves the life of a boy instead, she finds herself and her fellow mermaids in deep trouble. To protect the other Mamiwata, Simi must journey to the supreme creator to make amends. But all is not as it seems. There's a boy she rescued, who knows more than he should. And something is shadowing Simi, something that would rather see her fail. Skin of the Sea is out this November. Welcome to Hey YA. This is episode 105. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptions, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast. Today we have Erica, myself, and Kelly Jensen. We are recording on October 25th, 2021. Kelly, what's up? Somehow it's the end of October. Um... I have questions, I have concerns, <laughs> I have thoughts mm-hmm. and feelings. I don't get it. It's funny how um, with that, I feel like a lot of times, like when I feel like the time is flying by, other people feel it too. It's kind mm. of like this collective experience, which is interesting. Yeah, it's weird because I feel at once like, wow, the year's almost over, but I'm also still like, Mm-hmm. March 2020 was yesterday. It definitely was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday, 25 minutes ago, 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. Account, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I I really feel like 2020, 2021 is not its own year. It's just an extension of 2020. Yes. Yeah, for real. <laughs> heavy sigh, heavy sigh. Heavy sigh. Yeah, it's oh funny. I was working on a newsletter for next week's What's Up mm-hmm. in YA and looking at some 2022 titles for... Mm the upcoming year. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to read some new books. And I'm like, what am I doing? There's still so many awesome ones coming out this year, you know, and it's like, just because I'm over this year doesn't mean (laughs) it's over. (laughs) Yes, I think that is something that we're all having to remind ourselves starting Mm. since last year at the very least. Yes, yes, for real. Yeah. Oh, my God. What have you been up to? What have you been reading? Um, I have been reading, well, I'm leading the group read for our insiders, like epic reads. So mm-hmm. I'm reading Elatsoe, which is also YA. It's pretty cool. Elatsoe uh, by Darcy Little Badger, I should say. It follows this young girl who has kind of magical powers have been passed on to her through her matriarchal line. And there's a lot of like lip and Apache lore in it. So it's really cool. Her cousin is murdered or dies mysteriously and he comes to her in a dream and she has to like figure that out. She has a ghost dog companion named Kirby. 
who still <laughs> likes to smell cheese, even though he can't eat it. I'm like, oh, Kirby, <laughs> Kirby, I heart Kirby. So that's what I'm reading. In addition to a couple other things, I started Dolly for aunties. I'm not like super feeling it. I don't know if you've read, have you read that? I have not, no. Okay. I don't know. It's not quite what, it might just not, I might not be in the right mood. What have you been reading lately? You know, it's funny. I am very much like a mood reader and Mm. have really like, I've been trying to be really gentle when a book is just like not connecting with me right away that it's like, I'm very clearly like it's, it's me, not the book. Mm -hmm. And so I just had that happen with uh, Murder Trending by Gretchen McNeil, which I was really enjoying at the beginning. And then somewhere in the middle, I just started to like not connect with it and Mm -hmm. not be super interested in it. And it had nothing to do with the book. It was entirely me, which is one of those experiences that's like, you know, you finish it and you're like, okay, what do I have to say about this book other than (laughs) I 100% see like who the reader is and like why they would love it. But also, I can't like fairly critique it because this is more about my experience than about the book itself. And I don't, that's really like the long and short of it. Mm-hmm. What is that book about? Is it sounds like a, like a murder mystery, maybe? Uh, kind of. So it's, it's set in the near future and it is about a uh, former actor turned president who has control of a country that he should not have control of. Okay. I don't know. It sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> very familiar. Oh my God. But like the, the real like premise of it is that there's this island that's based off Alcatraz kind mm-hmm. of where teens who have been sentenced, I guess it's not just teens, but this one follows a teen um, who've been sentenced to, certain prison uh, sentences are sent to like fight to the death and it's all played out on social media. So like it's this really interesting critique of social media and violence. And I I picked it up because it's like very brutal horror kind of. Right. And also because I did a I did an event with the author right before everything got shut down last year and it was Mm -hmm. at a juvenile detention facility and the kids were obsessed with this book series and so i was like oh i want to read it because like why do these kids love it and it makes perfect sense why they love it it's the first in i think a trilogy so i personally won't read anymore but like i see why the kids absolutely adored it and so it was just like one of those you know you finish and you're like okay not for me and i didn't connect with it but like that's not a reflection of the book at all right sometimes i feel like it's hard for me to to disconnect whether it's like a mood I'm like you I'm very much mood based reader my mood not clicking with the book versus like is this maybe just a book I don't like or maybe that's the same mm-hmm. thing I don't know and sometimes it is I think the yeah same thing, yeah that's know? true that's true yeah so do you want to hear our first sponsor and we'll dive in I'm super excited about today's topics yeah I think they're pretty they're pretty cool okay <laughs> Okay, so our first sponsor is The Heartbreak Bakery by A.R. Capetta, published by Candlewick Press. Sid, no pronouns, please, has always dealt with big, hard-to-talk-about things by baking. Being dumped is no different, except now Sid is baking at The Proud Muffin, a queer bakery and community space in Austin. And everyone who eats Sid's breakup brownies breaks up, even Vin and Alec, who own The Proud Muffin. And their breakup might take the bakery down with it. 
Being dumped is one thing. Causing ripples of queer heartbreak through the community is another. This queer baking rom-com is a journey of self-discovery and a celebration of queer identity that gives the same warm feelings as the great British Bake Off. So thanks again to The Heartbreak Bakery by A.R. Capetta. That sounds really good. It does. Also delicious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, do you want to introduce our first topic? This one is all you. Yes. Oh, yes, that's true. And so much time passes and we have so many things to do. I like forget like, I mean, even like <laughs> I, like we were mentioning before, I almost low-key forgot what time we were recording. <laughs> <laughs> so um, our topic is retellings. So classic retellings or just retellings in general. Did you want to start off with your first pick? Sure. It's interesting because as soon as we had come up with this topic, I was like, there are there haven't been a whole lot of like big trendy things in YA in a couple mm-hmm. years, which is not a bad thing. I think it's a pretty refreshing thing. But there have been so many really fascinating retellings mm-hmm. this year, like all over the place. And so after I like written out what I was going to talk about I went and wrote like a whole post of retellings and it was like oh nice (laughs) yes and it was only like the ones I can think of like off the top of my head and it was still like 25 and didn't even cover like probably half of the other ones that came out this year or are coming out so I just picked some that were especially fascinating to me either that I have read or plan to read and the first one is one that I've read It's Tell Me My Name by Amy Reed, and it's a gender-bent take on The Great Gatsby. It follows Fern, who lives in a place called Commodore Island. It's a really wealthy area. And she's sort of in this holding pattern, waiting for summer, waiting for college, waiting for her best friend to finally declare his love for her. And then this new girl moves to town. Her name is Ivy. And Ivy is a wealthy, famous person. She is the kind of like electric person that Fern cannot get close enough to. And the closer she gets to Ivy, the more she starts to see all the cracks in Ivy's life. And the more Fern herself sees everything in her own life starting to look a little bit different. Uh, The book is set in the near future and is this sort of dreamy story that takes readers along with Fern, who uh, is unable to really touch down in her life until it's a little bit too late to sort of find that footing. It's a really unique story and the comps on this one are to speak and we were liars. And I think that those are both pretty, pretty good comparisons. It's a twisty and fiery and fierce take on, like I said before, The Great Gatsby. And that is Tell Me My Name by Amy Reed. That sounds really good. Another Great Gatsby um, remake um, not YA, but by Nevo came out, was it this year? Oh my God, this year has been so long. I know. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, it came out in June because it was, I had to stop myself from saying it was a queer remake because I'm like, well, Great Gatsby was kind of queer already. Yeah, yeah. It was more subtly, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that came out in June, but this sounds really, really interesting. Um, my first pick is Pride by Ibiza Boy. And Zuri Benitez has pride in her Brooklyn neighborhood, in her Afro-Latinx roots, and her family. What she does not have pride in is the gentrification going on in her neighborhood. And when the wealthy Darcy family moves in, Zuri is not feeling them in the least. They're just kind of like another gentrifying family. And the oldest son, Darius, comes across as especially arrogant. Now, if only Zuri's older sister, Janae, could stick with the program and not fall for Darius's brother Ainsley mm-hmm. like she's doing. You know, there was this stand-up comedian who was like, when he goes to Chuck E. Cheese, he and his kids need to look good as a unit. 
So her and her, you know, older sister need to be a unified front, you know, against these boys. But her sister didn't get that memo. So the more Darius and Zuri interact, the more of an understanding they come to. And one realizes the other may not be so bad. Throughout the book, Zuri juggles college applications, rambunctious sisters and cute boys, things like the cost of gentrification and other timely topics um, like intraracial prejudice class and what it means to be Black are also explored. Again, this is Pride by E.B. Zaboyd. And also, if it's not obvious, it's a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) I should have mentioned that before. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which I believe is the only Jane Austen book I've read. So funny story. My next one is a Jane Austen uh, retelling as well. And so like, I have not read any Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. I've read one short story by her called Lady Susan. And I read it because I had a professor in college who said that I would love that story and that I could skip the rest of Austen because (laughs) that would be all I needed to read. And, um, you know, I I totally respect people who love her and Mm -hmm. see like where the inspiration for retellings of her stories come Mm -hmm. from, but I'm pretty sure they're not for me. So it's very much one of those, like I'll read the retellings and and know kind of what the the threads are. And honestly, that's, that's good enough for me. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way about Jane Austen. I listened to that book. I was like, I want to see what the hubbub is about. Mm-hmm. I listened to that book on audio because I would try to listen, read it and print mm-hmm. and it would just never, it would not, she's not necessarily for me either. I'm kind of on the same page with you there. You know? <laughs> yeah, I do know. But the one I was going to talk about is Where the Rhythm Takes You by Sarah Doss. And this is a retelling of Persuasion, which I have, you know, little knowledge of except the contours. But trust those who know the story will see them play out in this particular book. So it follows 17-year-old Raina, who has always lived in a seaside resort in Tobago. It's a resort her family owns. But after her mother died two years ago and her best friend slash first love moved away... It all feels like the comforts and the things that she has loved about her life are falling away, and her dad even seems like he's ready to leave the island and their home behind. Aiden, who was Raina's best friend slash first love, comes back to town as a guest at the family's resort, and he is now one of the three members of a super popular music group called DJ Bacchanal, and Raina has the chance to reconnect with him, but he might not be the person she thought he was anymore. And he might also be dating one of the socialites who is with him on the trip. This is a quieter romance packed with music, with Caribbean culture, and what it means to have a second chance at love. And that is Where the Rhythm Takes You by Sarah Das. Nice, nice, nice. So my next one I have is Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Barron. It has been 200 years since Cinderella and her prince got married, and now teen girls are required to appear at a ball that happens every year where they will be scrutinized based on what they're wearing and how they look, the male attendees choosing who they want to be their wife. Any young woman who attends a ball who is not chosen by a man for marriage will be sent off somewhere and never heard from again. Mm. One thing about this is within the society, domestic violence is common, so it's kind of like you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. Now that Sophia has turned 16, she has to attend the Stratted Ball when she would much rather just marry her best friend, Aaron. Sophia decides that not only does she not even really want to marry one of these men, but she also wants her own freedom and of course does not want to be abused. 
She runs away during the ball and she winds up at Cinderella's mausoleum where she meets another girl, Constance, who turns out to be Cinderella's last known descendant. They make a vow that they're going to free all other young women from having to be bound by this ball and have their whole lives and futures determined by the will of the male attendees. So sparks fly between them. I will say that there is a racial diversity within this book and racial diversity is not like really seen as anything extra. It's just how things are. There is queerness, but in the book, it is not seen as acceptable. It's very, the standards are very heteronormative. Hence, you know, Sophia running away to be free because she is queer. Um, It definitely questions the original story. It adds to it an empowering feminist and like I said, queer take. So it has, you know, all those extra good things. I really like when retellings take the source material and kind of just like kind of chop it up. Mm-hmm. And yes, they have, you know, similarities, of course. Some names may even be the same, but they kind of, they scrutinize it. So there's like, you know, they're paying homage to it in a way, but they're also scrutinizing it and p- providing like a different take or a different, you know, perspective on this narrative that has kind of become probably for a lot of us like part of our subconscious in a way cinderella is definitely one of those you know classic um well technically it's a grim's fairy tale but i'm pretty sure all of us in like probably north america or a lot of us are familiar Mm -hmm. with the cartoon and that you know light blue dress and all that (laughs) extra you know when you hear the name you picture that so it definitely does that in a very brilliant way i think and again that is cinderella is dead by kaylin bayron my next pick is Lost in the Neverwoods by Aidan Thomas. And so I finally got around to reading Cemetery Boys, which is Thomas's debut novel. And I loved it. And I cannot wait to get my hands on the sophomore effort, which is a spin on Peter Pan. So five years ago, Wendy and her two brothers, Michael and John, went missing. Six months later, Wendy was found and she had no memory of what happened or where her brothers are. So now it's Fast forward, Wendy's senior year of high school, and though she still has all kinds of nightmares about her missing brothers, she is pulled in to help find out what's going on as more children begin to disappear in their small coastal town. Peter, a boy that Wendy thought only ever lived in stories, tells her that they need to work together to find the children or else they might meet the same fate as her brothers. So now Wendy has to confront her past in order to help save the future for herself, her brothers, and these newly missing children. And that is Lost in the Neverwoods by Aidan Thomas. And interestingly, there have been a lot of Peter Pan retellings this year. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if there was something was a live action like two or three years ago, maybe. Was it? I don't even remember that. I, I can't remember or yeah. if I'm making that up, but like there there has to have been some sort of interesting source material, <laughs> yeah. you know, a yes. few years back. Cause like I said, there's there's like four or five this mm-hmm. year, uh, which is Interesting. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you got? I know when it comes to like them becoming part of what is that called? Like the public domain. I know that yeah, brings yeah. retellings and stuff like that. So the next one I have is These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. It's Shanghai in 1926 and there's a lot going on. <laughs> so there are all these different powerful groups, foreign powers, people with money, et cetera, et cetera. They've all kind of divided up Shanghai and kind of like carved out portions of it for themselves. And what's left of Shanghai is divided by two rival gangs, the Chinese Scarlet Gang and the Russian White Flowers. Now, Juliet Kai is a former flapper, and she just came back from New York City to assume the role of leader of the Scarlet Gang. 
all of that wasn't messy enough for you, the heir to the Russian white flowers is Juliet's ex, Roma Montagov. So years ago, Roma betrayed Juliet, and ever since she has vowed revenge against him. But when a contagion is spread through the streets of Shanghai by some kind of monster, they have to work together to save both of their gangs as well as themselves. There are a lot of fun and compelling details here. There's this great mystery that's set up, takes place in the 20s. And side note, just noticing trends and stuff. I feel like I've been seeing a lot of books uh, being released lately that take place in the 20s. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, maybe because it's like the 100 year mark, it's 2020. But that's just such always like such a fun era to me to, you know, read about. So um, there's also a slow burning romance that, of course, inevitably inevitably happens. Obviously, this maybe it wasn't obvious. This is a quote from Shakespeare's uh, Romeo and Juliet. I should start saying what the retelling is a retelling Mm -hmm. of. Let me start. Let me let me get my life together over here. But yes, there is a slow burning romance that happens. Um, There's also this great mystery surrounding this contagion that drives people to madness that they're trying to uncover. There are also themes of loyalty and family. There's a great re-exploration of Shakespeare's original play. And so here it kind of explores different things more than the original play. Like I just said, like loyalty and family, not as much of the romance, although that is definitely there as well. So again, that is These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. My last pick is I Killed Zoe Spanos by Kit Frick. And I'll start by saying this isn't a strict retelling, but it's absolutely inspired by the classic Rebecca. So when Anna arrives in the small Hamptons village of Heron Mills, she is planning a quiet summer of nannying, and it's sort of her opportunity for a fresh start. Uh, But that's not possible because the town is reeling from the disappearance of Zoe, and Anna bears an uncanny resemblance to Zoe. Anna becomes entangled in trying to find out what happened to Zoe and is increasingly convinced she and Zoe are somehow connected. And so when Zoe is found two months later in a local lake, Anna is arrested for manslaughter. Now Martina Green, who is the host of a local true crime podcast dedicated to solving the mystery of Zoe's disappearance, uh, she's stepping in as she doesn't believe Anna's confession in Zoe's murder or in her disappearance. This is a read for fans of Sadie, of true crime and true crime podcasts, and of course, De Maurier's classic Rebecca. I have not picked this one up yet because thrillers and true crime leaning stories just are not my jam. But now that I see the Rebecca thread, I absolutely will be because I do love Rebecca. And that is I Killed Zoe Spanos, Spanos by Kit Frick. Ooh, that sounds so good. I definitely mm-hmm. am into thrillers. Kelly, what is your jam? I <laughs> I like, like dark contemporary stories but i also you know funny stories really yeah. do it for me and also i super love why nonfiction, which there's not a whole lot of but hmm. and also like genre blendy sort of things yeah. uh magical realism stuff oh, like yes. that and i do like like more traditional mysteries thrillers don't really do it for me in the same way but like i said uh the rebecca comp here oh yeah. horror i love horror like right. i didn't even mention that one <laughs> clearly that's where the rebecca right no that makes in. sense yes 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 okay okay interesting i think we have a lot of things in common i always say i need to read more nonfiction, but i'm working on that i'm working on me <laughs> Well, and there's, especially when you're, like, new to a category, mm-hmm. like, you have so much to, yeah. you know, get to know. Like, give yourself slack. Yeah. I need all the slack. 
much slack. <laughs> <laughs> so my next one is So Many Beginnings, A Little Woman Remix by Bethany C. Morrow. And of course, this is a little woman retelling. And this takes place in North Carolina in 1863 when the American Civil War is going on. There is a colony of freed Black people called the Freeman's Colony of Roanoke Island. It's a blossoming safe haven for people who have been newly freed. They're starting to build a community of their own. And in obviously like the shadow of slavery. So enter the March family who has started to, has just started to put down roots for themselves and their four daughters. Their daughters are Meg, who's a teacher who wants to start a family of her own eventually. Joe, who was a writer, Beth, who was a seamstress, and Amy, who was a dancer and kind of more of a free spirit and looking to explore things outside of her family and her, you know, hometown. And we follow the March sisters as they grow up. They start to become more independent and come into their own. They have, you know, struggles with love, health, heartbreak, all of that stuff um, that they always also have each other. So this is one of those books I think is super necessary a few that shows black people in that time outside of bondage although of course bondage is still you know ever present and in the background and i would go as far as to say that i feel like things like this should be added to the list of required high school reading mm-hmm. for like so like <laughs> and your mm-hmm just made me like more like enthused i guess there are just so many books written you know from the perspective that little the original little women was written from that already exist And we just need to see the other side of how Americans were living back then. Furthermore, well, I think just the part of the reason why, you know, Book Riot endorses or tries to push more diverse authors is that like when you read about characters, um, they kind of start to become more endearing to you. Like Mm -hmm. you feel like you see yourself in them, you see family members in them. And I think that kind of empathizing is directly connected to things like how Black people and other non-white people in general are viewed by the general population. Um, It goes into how people are treated, I feel. I just think like people underestimate the power of media, like books, TV shows, movies, and how it influences like, you know, just the general narrative. And just how people are seen by others, other groups, you know? I agree. And I guess this is like my incendiary opinions Mm -hmm. episode after I mentioned (laughs) my Jane Jane Austen comments. I don't have any interest in Little Women at all, and I've never Mm. read it. But this take on it sounds way up my alley. Mm -hmm. Same. (laughs) I think there's something to be said, too, about like these classics that, you know, we're told we should read or enjoy Maybe that's not the route to get the story. Maybe it's the retelling or the remix on it that really connects with the reader. Mm -hmm. No, I think that is such a, I incendiary take part two. I kind (laughs) of, I actually wrote, initially I was like, I feel like it should replace Little Women. I have not read Little Women. Mm. Isn't it like 500 pages or something crazy? I, it's long. I'm like, so you want me to read about these women in 18? Okay, girl, no. I'm not about to do that. <laughs> no, thanks. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. And uh, yeah, I feel like, I mean, not to say that we should, I mean, we just just have a diversity of, you know, perspectives and takes, especially when it comes to American history. This is definitely a perspective we don't see much. I would love to have an indigenous perspective to, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like have it well-rounded. 
But no, I am totally uh, there with your incendiary comments today, Kelly. So keep them coming. I am like right there behind you. I have I did not read Jane Austen like that, honey. I had to hit that audio book. I had to hit the audio book on her. She and I were not vibe. I was like, oh, it was so, I don't know. People probably be like, oh, you have no taste. And that's fine. I don't know. That's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. I totally respect people who like them. They're just not for me, you know? Let's hit our next sponsor before we dive into our uh, our next topic, which maybe won't be so incendiary. It's right. hard to say. <laughs> our third sponsor is our limited time book riot merchandise created just in time for our 10-year anniversary. Whether you're new to the book riot community or you've been with us from the beginning, we've got new book riot swag so you can show off your love for all things bookish available only for the month of october so you've got just a few more days to get yourself some goods we've got t-shirts super soft and comfy hoodies tote bags and more all with the book right logo and in our signature colors the yellow is very fall friendly just saying Go to bookriot.com slash merch to pick up your 10-year anniversary items. That is bookriot.com slash merch. So our next topic, do you want to introduce again? Because this is, again, like the Erica Topic Show, which is great. So, yes, I originally was thinking science fiction and fantasy set in non-European slash American settings. But then I was like, well, I think we both were like, "Mm, that is very restrictive. And also... There are just so many great books outside of that genre that, mm-hmm. you know, super interesting that take place in basically not North America or uh, Europe. So, yeah. Yeah. So I can start with the first one, which is The Akata Witch by Nnedi Okorafor. It is a series, takes place in Nigeria. So a 12-year-old albino girl is ironically named Sunny. Parents had a sense of humor. She was born in New York, but is now living in Nigeria. As an albino, she obviously has a different appearance compared to other school children and often gets bullied as a result. Once she meets Orlu and Chi-Chi, she falls into this world of magic with these people called leopard people. Her and her friends go to regular school by day and practice their magic at night, and they band together to go against this man named Black Hat Otokoto, who is responsible for harming children. In this, Sunny has many victories, both magical and non-magical, including a greatly detailed soccer match for the sports fans, for the fans of sports ball. I'm not familiar, so. (laughs) And the world building is great. It also offers some interesting elements to the world building as it takes place in Nigeria. So naturally it borrows from Nigerian lore and geography and stuff like that. Um, Side note, And yet another comment on patterns, I'm I'm seeing a lot of science fiction and fantasy coming from African authors lately, and it's Mm -hmm. just super, you know, interesting and imaginative. Yes. Growing up as far as fantasy and everything goes, I liked a lot of fantasy, well, currently and, you know, when I was a kid. And I'm super used to, like, the knights and the princesses and all that and the dragons, and that's definitely cool, and it was entertaining, but it's really cool, too, to see these magical elements coming from different lore african indigenous yeah. it's like a lot of great stuff coming out of asia i know asia is a continent and that's very broad but it's very you know just broad everything coming out and i really love it so again that is a kata witch by nedia korafor my first pick 
is A Small Charred Face by Kazuki Sakuraba, translated by Jocelyn Allen, and this one is set in Japan. I alluded to this book uh, on the last full episode of Hey YA, and now I am ready to talk about it. So it's a collection of three short stories in translation and a really fresh take on the vampire mythos situated in Japan and as readers will learn partially in China as well. Uh, These are three loosely interconnected short stories about the bamboo, who are vampires from the mountain regions of China. They thrive on human blood and on bamboo. They have been the subject of asylum, and many flee their homelands due to the fear of people who want them killed and are working toward it. So they are resettling in Japan. And and this is where the first story begins. Uh, It follows a bamboo who rescues a small boy whose family has been killed. The boy and the bamboo develop this really powerful friendship, despite the fact that it is not legal for a bamboo to house and care for a human, um, and it can result in a huge penalty. Bamboo live about 120 years, and when rescued, the young boy knows that he's been saved by an older bamboo, and he sees him through the end of his life. This one, this short story was lovely and quite reminiscent of what we do in the shadows with the humor (laughs) in it. And then the second and the third stories were, for me, not as compelling, but I think a lot of readers will find them equally compelling. And you get the history of how the bamboo ended up in Japan in the final story. And then the second story is about a bamboo and a friend who like to play mischief on humans. And they're both good, both the bamboo and the human. They're good people. Um, But uh, this is just like their thing they do. It's so interesting to see such a different take on vampires and let alone see a book in translation in YA, let alone horror in translation. So this has so many interesting elements in it and it's the kind of book that like if you're looking for something different, something with horror, something in translation, like this is going to check so many boxes. And that is A Small Charred Face by Kazuki Sakuraba, translated by Jocelyn Allen. That checks so many boxes. (laughs) And I love what we do in the shadows. I'm a little behind. I've seen the movie and I've watched the show. (laughs) It is so funny. I haven't watched the show my husband has, Mm -hmm. but I watched the movie. And I think that's part of why I haven't watched the show is because I have such good memories of the movie that I'm like, I don't want to like take away from that. But yeah, it was funny. That first story was especially funny. And the whole time I was just like, this really reminds me of that movie and the humor in there. That's definitely an enticing. Yeah. So I need (laughs) to check that out. Um, So the next one I have is Diary of a Tokyo Teen by Kristen Mari Inzer. This takes place in Japan. The author was born in Japan in 1987 and has been living in the United States since 2003. So in this graphic novel, she details the summer before she turned 16 and how she went on a trip to Tokyo to visit her grandparents and become reacquainted with the Japan that she left. She details everything from the fashion to the food. There's this interesting place called Moss Burger that she says does American food better than America. Naturally, I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, she talks about TV personalities, even how people bathe and stuff. Apparently, they bathe outside of the bathtub. Interesting fact. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they get into the bathtub. So that's, you know. Uh, she has a cool, funky art style and mixes drawings with photographs, sometimes even inserting drawings onto pictures. I really like how she has included so many real life pictures so you can really get a feel for just 
the everyday life of Japanese teenagers and life in Japan in general. She has a lot of notes, like little notes on the side that detail everything from, like I said, how people bathe, how people get, how people are dressed, uh, like the customer service and just all these little details and stuff. And she infuses it with a lot of humor. Kind of felt like, I mean, you know, nothing really compares to actually physically going to another country. But since we are still in this here panini, it was kind of cool to peek into another country kind of somewhat satisfies that it's still like travel I mean a lot of it is taken from 2003 but still it's interesting like when you think of another country or even another city sometimes you have this for me I have this like kind of traveler or foreigner veil over it and then I see these like regular everyday you know pictures I'm like ooh, Mm -hmm. makes it more real for me I guess um definitely a fun read again that was Diary of a Tokyo Teen by Kristen Marie Inzer my next pick is Bloody Soul by Sonia Patel, set in South Korea. And so everything I read about this one is that it's a hard read and that it's a super dark portrayal of a bully. So heads up if that's something that um, you might not want to read. The story follows 16-year-old Rocky, who is loyal to his father's gang, the Three Star Paw, his best friend, and he's super dedicated to bullying Hana in school. He is also loyal to the memory of his mother who died, even though she was far from perfect herself. But Rocky catches his father in a lie, and suddenly everything that he thought he knew about loyalty is put to the test, and he has to reconsider everything that he thought he knew about his life. And it's a really complex story about bullying, gang life, and about mental illness. And that is Bloody Soul by Sonia Patel. And I was just thinking, like, I don't know if I've read any books set in Seoul, South Korea. And um, this one is one that just kept popping up on my radar and I am going to have to pick it up. It sounds good. And what's funny is my next book takes place in Seoul, South Korea as well. So that it's called Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. It's part of a series as well. And it follows 18 year old Mi Young, who has a secret. She's half Gumiho, which is a mythical nine-tailed fox that must devour the life energy of men to survive. Unlike her legendary mother, who would just go straight for the liver, I guess, <laughs> tries to give her prey as painless a death as possible. She also tries to seek out evil men to, do de- to devour, a la like Dexter, if y'all remember that show. Um, so one day she sees a teenage boy being attacked by a goblin and she rescues him only to lose her fox bead or her soul from the interaction because it kind of goes against some like unwritten law. Now, Jihoon, the boy that she saved, knows that she is actually a Ninetales because he saw her use her power when she saved him. Um, Despite that, he is totally into her anyway. So the two embark on a journey trying to regain Mi Young's fox bead. And of course, some romance ensues and friendship as well as the two overcome obstacles. Some have likened it to a K-drama in some aspects, although I wouldn't know if that's really accurate or if it's just because it takes place in South Korea Mm -hmm. and there's romance. I have not never, I've never really watched any K-dramas. So, but there has been that comparison. It's also got some great Korean folklore as well and some insight into the modern city of Seoul, Korea, South Korea. So yeah, definitely, like I said, it's part of a series. And I think if you start it, you will be interested in finishing the series. So that is Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. My last pick, because somebody misunderstood the assignment and her fourth (laughs) pick was set in Italy. (laughs) So we're not going to talk about that one. Uh, But I will talk about the one that is set 
<laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like I literally didn't realize it until just now um, as I was looking at it. But maybe you think Italy is like very foreign to you, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. It's okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the one I do have, though, fortunately, is not set in Italy. And that is Facing the Sun by Janice Lynn Mather. And it's set in the Caribbean. So some of the vibes I get from this book remind me of Samantha Mabry's A Fierce and Subtle Poison, also not set in either the United States or Europe. If for no other reason, then it takes a look at a story about life pre developers who come in and change a country and life after that happens. So this one is set during the summer in the Caribbean, and it's a character-driven story about four best friends and what happens in their beloved community beach when it's bought by outsiders. So I haven't read this book, and since I know it's a character-driven book, I'm going to pull the official description for it. Before I do that, and I try not to do that, I want to note that I, I think Janice Lee Mather is a sorely underrated YA writer whose mm. work continues to be overlooked. Um, her first book, Learning to Breathe, was a super compelling story also set in the Caribbean. So I hope people go seek that one out as well. But here's the blippity blip. Uh, change is coming to Pinder Street. Eve is the rock in her family of seven, the one they always depend on. But when her dad is diagnosed with cancer, she wants nothing more than to trade her worries for some red lipstick and a carefree night. Faith is the dancer all the boys want, but she only has eyes for the one she can't have. Only thing is, all the flirting in the world can't distract her from her broken home life or the secrets that she hides. Kiki is the poet who won't follow the rules, not even to please her estranged father. But after a horrible betrayal, she'll have to choose between being right and losing everything she loves. Naya is the prisoner longing to escape her overprotective mother. A summer art program may be her ticket to freedom, and yet it comes with a terrible price, and the risk may not be worth the reward. Ready or not, it's time for these four friends to face the sun. And that is Facing the Sun by Janice Lynn Mather. Sounds really good. I will definitely have to check that out. The last one I have is The House of Rust by Khadija Abdallah Bajabir. takes place in Kenya. So the father of a young Hadrami girl in Mombasa, Kenya goes missing and his brave daughter Aisha goes to the sea on a magical boat made of a skeleton to rescue him. As a companion, she has a very wise and talkative yellow cat named Hamza, whose owner is a scholar or was a scholar. Now Hamza has some great quips, as you might imagine a talking cat will have. <laughs> and there are other talking animals that Aisha comes across as this book really explores the lore of Hadrami and Swahili culture. On her way to rescue her father, Aisha meets these terrifying sea monsters, and she has a final showdown with one of them who happens to be the father of all sharks. After she rescues her father, she returns home, hoping that everything will be back to normal, but that is not the case. And interestingly enough, her rescuing her father and bringing him home is like the book blurb. It's not a spoiler at all. Once they return home, like I said, she's thinking that things will go back to normal, but they only get stranger. So this, again, is a great exploration of a culture that I think many of the English-speaking world don't get to see too much. It's also a coming-of-age story with an interesting female protagonist and quirky characters. I mentioned this last full uh, Hey episode, Kiki's Delivery Service, but it reminds me of Kiki's Delivery Service. <laughs> it has, like, you know, the magical elements, magical realism got this young girl coming of age and her companion cat you know who talks and talks a lot of mess at that <laughs> so you know talking mess cat 
So it also came out uh, very recently on October 19th uh, this year. I have not read this, but I'm super hyped to read it. Again, it's The House of Rust by Khadija Abdallah Bajabir. And yeah, definitely get into that. Yeah, I'm like, I hadn't heard of this one. And now that you're talking about it and all of the the lore that it digs into, the talking animals, like, mm, count me in. I want to yeah. read this one. <laughs> it should be super fun, I think. I think that's our episode because I'm not going to talk about a story set in Italy. <laughs> I see you crossed it out. <laughs> you have to cross, go ahead and cross it. Out. <laughs> like just so in case we forget, don't say that one. Yeah, I I will note that I did a post a year ago, two years ago, maybe mm-hmm. at this point that looked or tried to look at as many countries around the world and why I set in those countries. So um, we'll link to that in the show notes if you want even more. I don't think any of the ones that we discussed today are on that list. So then you'll have like piles and piles more internationally set YA books. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Please leave feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts to let us know how we're doing and to help others find us. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish, including our insiders program, which I mentioned earlier. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make this show possible. Thanks to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow Kelly on Instagram at Hey Kelly Jensen and Erica on Twitter at Erica underscore EZE underscore. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Happy reading. Bye.